Good morning. This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. As part of WFUV's latest Strike Accord campaign on financial literacy, I'm talking with Donna Katzen. She's executive director of Shared Interest, a nonprofit organization that's raising capital in the U.S. to help small businesses in South Africa. Then I'll be joined by Fordham student Katie Raymond. She'll be visiting South Africa as part of Fordham University's first study abroad program on the African continent. But first, Donna Katzen tells us more about Shared Interest. Good morning, well, Donna. Good morning, Robin, and thanks so much for having me on the show. It's wonderful to talk to the Fordham community. And we are very excited about the work that Shared Interest has been doing in South Africa since 1994. That was the year Nelson Mandela was elected president and the year that people would want to begin to reinvest in a new nation. So Shared Interest, a nonprofit based here in New York, started up in 1994 to begin to attempt to reverse the legacy of apartheid. We all know it wasn't just that black people could not vote, but blacks were not allowed to own land, to do business, uh, and were separated by and discriminated against by racial categories that were law until apartheid was abolished. Established shared interest to make it possible for people in the U.S. to be part of that process, to be part of it through their ideas, to be part of it through their visits to South Africa, and to be part of the capital that they would help us mobilize to enable low-income black South Africans to begin to become self-sufficient and rebuild their country. So, Donna, what is the economic climate like right now in South Africa? Well, it's a little bit better than it is in the United States in the sense that South Africa did not suffer from the financial debacle that has taken such a toll in Europe and in the United States. However, it is suffering from the knock-on effects. That is, when Europe and the United States are less able to buy its products, this affects South Africa's own ability to profit from its exports. However, um, South Africa's growth rate is still higher than that of the United States, and even though it's battling under significant challenges, unemployment, uh, homelessness, inherited from apartheid, it is still... Uh, economically quite viable and beginning to recognize the strength that we knew was part of its promise. Now, Donna, how did apartheid play a part in the economic decline of, of small businesses in South Africa? By not allowing them to exist. So, for example, if blacks were not allowed to do business outside of the homelands to which they were relegated, if they were discriminated against in the workplace, if they were not allowed to own land, um, that made it very, very difficult to succeed. That's not to say that there was not small business in the black community, but it had every strike against it. What we are doing now is to look to remove two of the biggest barriers. One of those barriers is access to credit, because among the many things that low-income black South Africans did not have access to under apartheid, credit was right up there at the top of the list and in fact still is. So we are working to move South African banks to make loans to low-income rural women, to microfinance institutions, to affordable housing organizations, agricultural co-ops, and small farmers that they would never, ever have a chance of getting without the shared interest guarantee. The other big barrier is technical support and skills. And so we work very closely with our partner, South African organization called the Tembani International Guarantee Fund. And Tembani provides that technical support 
when we started, we knew we were going to be providing technical support to the new businesses and the institutions that lent to them. What we didn't realize is how much technical assistance we would have to be giving the banks to do these kinds of loans. And so Tambani plays a key role in that process. Now, what do you what, mean by technical assistance? By helping people learn how to work with credit. So if you are a small business person and you have never had an opportunity to get a loan from a bank, maybe have even been afraid of going to the bank because if you did get credit, it might take everything you own. Um, but basically, banks simply were not located in black communities. So this is an introduction, it's a relationship building, and it's teaching people how to work with commercial credit to repay it and use it so that they themselves can become self-sufficient. Now take me through it. I am a um, a female uh, South African who wants to have a small business. What do you do for me? Okay. So we would, first of all, work with you and help you understand how to put together your business plan and if commercial credit makes sense, if you need it to grow your business, to establish your business, we would then introduce you to a South African bank. And we're talking here about mobilizing money in South Africa, so it's South African banks. We would then take you to the bank. And the first thing, the bank, the bank would probably look at you with somewhat questioning uh, attitude and would probably, at the end of it all, say, ah, but you have no collateral. Mm. You would then be in a position to say, ah, but I do have collateral. And this collateral, this security, is supplied by our friends in the United States who are putting up a letter of credit so that if I had trouble repaying this loan, some of the risk would be taken by our friends in the United States. It removes a major hurdle for that loan. Tembani makes the deal happen. So, Donna, I'm going to back up a bit. How did shared interest begin and then develop? Many of us who work with shared interest were part of the anti-apartheid movement. And that movement, as you know, did a great deal to disinvest, to remove international investments from South Africa as a tool for peaceful change. So in 1994, when South Africa became a democracy, the challenge was different. It was no longer to push South Africa to peaceful, nonviolent change based on compromise, but it was, in fact, to begin to build a new nation. And interestingly enough, I think Archbishop Tutu put it most clearly at the time. He said the end of apartheid was part one of the struggle, but part two is the more difficult to make the miracle endure. And he said, you know, we asked you to disinvest, but now we ask you to invest to make South Africa succeed for the sake of the world. And that's very much the motivation, this incredible model of peaceful change, of people coming together to understand their own shared interest to wipe out a racist and oppressive legacy is too precious a lesson for history to lose. And that's why we today are still totally dedicated to helping South Africa make a success of its model and share that model with the world. So what are some of the most common small businesses in South Africa? Well, they range. Um, and we also work with micro-enterprises where people borrow as little as $100, usually from a microfinance institution. Those very, very small organizations can range from child care to um, bakeries 
to auto mechanics to sewing to uh, redistributing goods in rural areas that were purchased in the cities, areas that have no stores. So they, but they graduate up, and we also work with small enterprises. And I just want to give you um, an example of. I'm going to give you an example of a small enterprise and also of a micro enterprise. Okay. So the micro enterprise I'd like to talk about was started by a woman named Grace Mudlow, who was a client of the Small Enterprise Foundation in the northernmost province of South Africa, the province of Limpopo. When Grace was widowed, when she lost her husband and had five children that she needed to feed and educate, she was able to begin to borrow a series of small and growing loans from the Small Enterprise Foundation, the leading microfinance institution in South Africa, and one that we've worked with for quite some years. So based on her loans, Grace was able to start, first of all, selling foods in her very, very small rural community that she purchased in the towns and make that food available to her community. Having done well, she was able to set up a small convenience store, which is still today the only store in that community. And having done well with that, she was able to take out a large loan to buy a second-hand van and uses that van now to transport other people's children to school from this remote rural area so that she is in her short career not only help to feed, but also to ensure the education of her village's kids. So she is one who has really achieved leadership and success in the Small Enterprise Foundation, but she's by no way unusual. When we started working with the Small Enterprise Foundation, they had 18,000 clients. They now have 78,000 clients and a 99% plus repayment rate. So she is wonderful and inspiring, but not not an exception to the rule. The other thing that's notable about uh, about the Small Enterprise Foundation is that for many of their villages that they work with, they also provide HIV-AIDS education and have mobilized communities to reduce the incidence of HIV-AIDS and also to reduce intimate partner violence by 55%. So it's really a very, very powerful model, and people like Grace are at the middle of it. And define what the Small Enterprise Foundation is. Yes, I'd be glad to. The Small Enterprise Foundation is the largest and one of the most successful microfinance institutions in South Africa. And by microfinance here, we mean an organization that works with impoverished, primarily rural areas and primarily women, to build their savings and their businesses. So what they do is they go into these very remote villages in four different provinces in South Africa, and they organize groups of five women each who save and borrow together. These groups that save and borrow together repay their loans together every two weeks, and the five women in each group are responsible for repaying each other's loans. That means if you and I and three other women are in a group together, and I have trouble repaying my loan one week, it means that the other four women have to pick up the tab for me and cover until I can get back on my feet. What this does is it creates a tremendous, if you will, shared interest in everybody else's success. And it means that the women in these groups help each other with business ideas, intervene with difficulties, any kind of difficulties. They drum up business for each other, promote each other's businesses, and really do a great deal to ensure each other's success because everyone's success depends on each one. So that's one way in which both 
social capital as well as financial capital is built by Small Enterprise Foundation. But what happens in these villages is that a typical village center that might have 10 savings and borrowing groups that meet every two weeks, that village center takes on a life of its own, and the women in those centers often address other social issues in the community. And these can range from a clinic that's not treating the women with sufficient respect to the tribal council, many of these traditional communities. It might mean going to the tribal council and educating the elders about HIV AIDS and how to educate the men in the the village as well. And it may mean looking at new business opportunities for the community as a whole. So the social capital as well as the financial capital built by these microfinance institutions is an extremely powerful source for self-sufficiency and social change in South Africa today. And we, through our guarantees, are able to help these groups expand. When we started with Small Enterprise Foundation, they had 18,000 clients. Today they have 78,000 because they too have been able to have access to capital that they, like their borrowers, would not have had without a guarantee. So it sounds like relationship is really important. Yes, and some people call this relationship banking. So Donna, what are some of the challenges that faces South Africa? Well, many people think that after 17 years of apartheid being over, that South Africa ought to be perfectly fine and totally fixed. I think anybody that looks at the U.S. history and recognizes all these years after slavery um, should understand that legacies endure, and specifically economic legacies, have very deep roots. So, for example, today you still have an unemployment rate, an official unemployment rate of over 25%. Unofficially, it's much higher when you look at people who have given up looking for work, probably closer to 40%. In fact, the highest rate for any country that is not either at war or in a post-conflict situation. So that rate is quite high and quite troubling still. The percentage of land that remains in white hands is still very, very high. About 78% of arable land is still in white hands in the country. And the need for housing, sufficient health care, and quality education is still considerable. So given those needs, the economic legacy of apartheid is still at work, and it will take, we estimate, at least another generation of committed, diligent work and supportive finance and supportive technical assistance to help South Africa live up to the legacy that so many people have given so much for for so long. What that means is that Shared Interest is now launching its Next Generation campaign, for example, that over the next five years is planning to reach the next 500,000 low-income black South Africans and to continue to build not only the businesses and the microfinance institutions in the country, but also the capacity of the mainstream banks to do this kind of banking as part of their ordinary business. At the end of that, we understand and look forward to the day when South Africa's banks will look at low-income communities and small and struggling entrepreneurs and will say, why do we need a guarantee to lend to these clients? They're perfectly good clients. This is our ordinary business. And that is that is our end goal, and that's part of the economic transformation that we know is possible in South Africa.
This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. As part of WFUV's latest Strike Accord campaign on financial literacy, I'm talking with Donna Katzen, Executive Director of Shared Interest, a nonprofit organization that's raising capital in the U.S. to help small businesses in South Africa. So um, one key piece of this is understanding where our money comes from, the money that we borrow. And it, by and large, does not come from enormous investors or from companies. It mainly comes from individuals, from some foundations, a few banks, a lot of faith-based institutions. The money that we borrow comes to us in loans that range from $3,000 to a million and a half. And it comes to us from individual religious foundations and some commercial investors, a couple of pension funds, for example, and healthcare systems. That money then that is lent to us, we pay interest on, and when time comes, when people want their money back, we pay it back to them. But in the meantime, while we have it, that money stands as the security that low-income black South Africans do not have when they go to the bank and that they need to get a loan. Just as a student, when they are, a student is looking to take out a, a student loan, it's very often asked for a co-signer. You know, um, my dear, you do not have the proper finances to get this loan. You have somebody that can co-sign for you. Yes, my friend, my aunt, whoever. We are, in essence, co-signing for loans in South Africa. Not 100%, um, but partially, up to 75%. And because we are there as guarantors, or in essence, co-signers, this means that rural women, small farmers, microfinance institutions can get the loans that they need to stand on their feet and rebuild their communities. And people can place loans for as little as $20. But this is to say that one does not have to be enormously wealthy to participate in South Africa's transformation. And we feel very strongly about this because the anti-apartheid movement in this country and many others that helped bring the change in South Africa was by and large not accomplished by enormous investors and enormous companies, although they certainly played a role. But it was everyday people who got their campuses, their companies, their investment advisors, their religious institutions to divest that were able to exert tremendous pressure for change. We are looking now to use that same kind of people's pressure to help South Africa build a new nation. And it's particularly relevant now as everybody is understanding with Occupy Wall Street and Occupy at least another 1,500 other cities in the world that have these, that have these protests going on. There is a call for financial accountability and a call for mainstream financial institutions to help rebuild the communities whose money is entrusted to them. And we are looking to use that same principle to enable South Africa's financial institutions to be accountable to their communities with the help and support of people around the world who care. So, Donna, what has shared interests impact been over the past few years? Since we started in 1994, we have helped low-income black South Africans launch and expand 109,000 small and micro enterprises, build and rehab 120,000 affordable homes, 
and create more than 1.8 million jobs. So overall, we benefited more than 2 million people. But my favorite number in all is the number zero, because zero is the number of dollars that anyone has ever lost as a result of investing in shared interest. Anybody who has wanted, some people roll their loans over and keep them with us, but anybody who has wanted their money back has gotten it back on time, and we have paid every penny of interest that we have promised for the last 17 years. What's particularly important about this kind of investing, and shared interest is not alone, there are many, many other community investments, impact investments. And what we share in that field is that we are looking for a double bottom line, that is, not only a financial return, but also a social return. And as people begin to look at their investments, not only in terms of risk and reward, that is how much money you're going to make and how risky it is, but also looking at social impact, we understand that we are part of a growing movement and that people looking at community and impact investing in the future are going to want to be putting a lot more of their funds into these pretty low-risk kinds of investments that not only produce for the investor, but also have a significant positive social and often environmental impact in the communities where they're working. That was Donna Katzen, Executive Director of Shared Interest. For more information, visit sharedinterest.org. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon, and now I'm joined by Fordham junior Katie Raymond, who is one of the students heading to South Africa for Fordham's first study abroad program on the African continent. I chose South Africa because I think it's one of the most exciting places to be in the world right now in terms of economics, politics, history. It's where everything's going on, and it's also an incredible model for democracy right now which is what I'm very interested in studying and learning more about. I feel very passionate about going there and being in a place that's both on the forefront of developing all these things in terms of economics and also concerned with that humanity aspect as well. Now, um, what exactly will you be doing when you get to South Africa? We're going to be studying at the University of Pretoria, which is in Pretoria. It's one of the provinces in South Africa, one of the nine provinces. And we're also going to be doing service learning with a boys' school and with a woman's shelter also. We're going to be learning how to use ourselves as instruments for doing good. Have you ever been to South Africa before? I have. I actually went in August for three and a half weeks. I took an economics course there and absolutely fell in love with it. I had already met a group of South African students who came from the University of Pretoria to study at Fordham during the summer. So that was my first image of South Africa. How did you meet them? They um, were brought over by actually one of my economics professors, my advisor, Professor Tamelli. And so he had asked if I wanted to help just bring them around and meet. So I said, absolutely, I would love that. Mm-hmm. So that was my Kind of like their tour guide. Exactly, mm-hmm. yeah. And we just had the best time. How is this upcoming trip that you're going on to South Africa going to differ from the trips that you took in the past? Yeah, it's actually a really interesting question. Um, first, obviously, it's length of time that we're there is going to be different. And it's also, it's really living there. And then... So you're going to be submerged in the culture. Submerged in the culture much more. Also, the service learning we're doing is the first um, time that's ever happened. We we volunteered, but not as significantly as we will be. What are some of the struggles that are are happening right there? The two major problems are inequality and also unemployment. And the two, actually, they inform one another. How? They... What happens is that the, the minority of the population, which is white, has control of the majority of the land and the capital and the resources also, which is remaining from the apartheid era. 
And what's happened is that the resources are there for people to work, but what's happening is that these systems in place are hampering their ability to do that. During apartheid, the black population was completely oppressed. Like They were the majority, but they weren't allowed to own certain businesses, weren't allowed to access certain capital. But what happened with the democracy is that those rules were abolished and that Nelson Mandela, he brought in and wanted to make a compromise between the white population and the black population so that it wasn't about oppression anymore. It was about forgiveness and understanding. But unfortunately, there are still systems in place that impede that compromise from happening, which is why it's so crucial that these systems and that these oppressions are unlocked because there are these incredible resources of people who are there and who have the ability to do these things, but for circumstances outside their control aren't able to do so. We went to um, Soweto one day, and during the morning we had toured the Apartheid Museum and we had seen where this uh, another museum where they had information about students who had rioted during the apartheid era. And I'm standing with my friend Sokana and Mashu Ping, and then we went to, uh, we actually saw a slum where people were living in the shanty town. And you look over and it's a completely developed city, and then to your left is these people who can't survive or are barely surviving. Now, Katie, in an earlier conversation uh, that we had prior to this interview, mm-hmm. you said you think Fordham is on the forefront of developing what study abroad programs will look like in the future. How so? The model that Fordham is using at this program, the University of Pretoria, is the best model for study abroad and should be replicated across, I think, every country, every university in the United States, just because it's so focused on immersing students in the culture, but using the students themselves and the network that people create with one another as a way to do that, that it's all about building relationships with people abroad and then people abroad coming to the United States and building relationships. And if you want to talk about a global world, that's the way to do it. I just feel so lucky to be a part of it because it's something I feel very passionate about, that how important it is that with everything going on in the world and you hear about the economy collapsing and all these terrible things everywhere that if we as students can build these strong relationships, then that's what's going to change it. And that's what the youth is and that's what we're about and that's what we're going to do. Uh, What do you hope to come away with once you've finished the study abroad program in South Africa? What I've learned as a student there has been so important and just again how lucky I am to be a part of it and that I've learned how microfinance is really important and that the most important thing about it is using it as a means to adapt to the certain situations that are in each particular country that it's not about just having one model but it's about using that model in different countries and different places. And I think for me the most interesting thing is the idea that one person succeeding can influence a great deal of people and how many, and real change and real growth takes time, but that when it does succeed, that it spreads. And that also in terms of what I've learned about South Africa as a whole is that we actually had an event in Boston where the South African ambassador, Abraham Rasul came and spoke about why South Africa to investors, why would you want to invest in Africa? And I think one of the most interesting things he said was that the United States in particular, and a lot of other countries as well, has this idea in their head about what Africa is, and that whenever they give to Africa, whenever they invest, whenever they donate, they see it as a donation, they see it as charity. But that's not the case. At the majority of the time, the resources that are there end up benefiting 
the investors. So to say that it's charity is wrong and mistaken and misconstrued because then what happens is people don't see the amount of resources that can be used there but just aren't because of things like the regulations and the banking system and inequality and unemployment. That once those things are solved, there is an entire growth of that continent that can be taken place. And that I think we can really, if we can shift that thinking, then the United States is also going to be able to explore all these different venues. You mean shift the thinking into we're not donating, right. we're helping to build? We're building. Mm-hmm. Because the more people who are employed and the more people who have the resources to do the things they want to do, the greater the situation is for both parties. And that this global world, this new economy, as we watch everything fall apart, that we have to look at different places and rework our own thinking in terms of growth and in what we see as power and in what we see as relationships. Katie Raymond, thank you. Thank you. My thanks to Donna Katzen, Executive Director of Shared Interest. I'd also like to thank Fordham Jr., Katie Raymond. To find out more about our latest Strike Accord campaign, visit the website wfuv.org backslash strike accord. This has been Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. Stay with us, George Bodarkey and Cityscaper next. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon. Wait, wait.